Greeks were very sus. <laughs> yes, the Greeks had some interesting traditions, to say the least. Particularly, it was always like the most famous philosophers of our time yep. in Athens. It literally is like the start of like scientific thought, <laughs> like official scientific thought. And they were all like, what can we put in our butts? <laughs> <laughs> Other men. Hey, <laughs> it's like, I'm just picturing like um, in Goodwill Hunting when he saw Solves the most complicated math problem or whatever. Have you ever seen Good Will Hunting? I've seen that scene. <laughs> just picturing like Socrates and Plato <laughs> just at this stone board being like, so the penis can't go in the butt? <laughs> and they're all naked. <laughs> and they're all, they're, and it's like, Socrates, where your toga go? <laughs> what? I never wear one. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, And with me, as always, I have Evan Roosh. Hey-o. We got the new setup going for the microphone, yes. so hopefully things sound as good as they have. We haven't tested this out yet, so we're, we'll see. Yeah, we definitely finally got technology to save our backs a little bit. Yeah, but we ordered new microphones, which we got everything else, but not the microphones yet. So. <laughs> yeah, we have the microphone stands, the whatever, got, the it, boom we, mic Yeah, we, we got the, the cords for the microphones, mm-hmm. we got the interface for the microphones. <laughs> But we don't have the microphones. Right. So we're running with what we got for right now. With what we got. Hopefully it all sounds good good enough on this one. And then ne- by hopefully the next t- next episode or the episode after, we'll have all the new microphones and stuff all ready to go. So, But yeah, if you're, if you're new here, if you've never joined us for this podcast before, we are just two buddies that we decided to start a show about history because we both like history we are by no means historians and (laughs) we we get things wrong quite a bit but i like to think that for the most part we are pretty well researched in the stuff Mm -hmm. that we cover and it's just a fun way for us to learn new stuff and hopefully we can do it in a way that's relatable for you guys and stuff that you probably didn't learn when you're in school so yeah that's my favorite part about doing this it's going a little bit more in depth past the paragraph that you probably learned about even the topic that we covered today, like get more in depth and actually understand the historical figures, like motivations yep. behind things. And like we said, neither of us are historians or have any resemblance of a history degree. So it's just more laid back and casual. We're, and we're YouTube university students. Absolutely. So I watched a, us. Yeah. I watched a clip online one time. Yep. But Today, as Evan mentioned, our topic is going to be the Spartans, which I am very excited about. We mentioned this, I believe, in our last episode, that we still haven't covered Thermopylae, so we decided, well, why not just do it right away, get it it done with, because it's a very fascinating topic. Mm -hmm. And I think our goal today is going to give you a more realistic picture of the Spartans, because media has very much portrayed them in a certain way especially in the past decade or so. Yeah. So I'm sure you have all heard of the Spartans. I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen either a trailer for the movie 300 or you've played some like game that has the Spartans included in it that give you a very glorified picture of them, which is not to say that that's wrong. It's just that it's very exaggerated most of the time. So, just a bit. Yeah. So we're going to not necessarily dispel the myth that the Spartans were cool and we're not going to like break that fictionalized hero that you have if you, if you do love the Spartans, but we're going to bring them back down to earth a little bit, make them, make them more realistic into like how they actually got the reputation that they are these mythical heroes. Yeah, make them more approachable and not the Gerard Butler, like, 
photoshopped abs type deal. <laughs> yeah, not the naked warriors in the battlefield. Right. I'm sure a couple of them were fat. <laughs> you oh. can't have an, ar- an army that big and not have a couple chunkers. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But they did do rigorous exercises from like 7 to age 30. So, I mean. Their they... knee. I was just complaining about my knees before we started <laughs> recording. Yeah. Can't imagine what their knees were like. But, yeah, they are a very cool, yeah, very cool civilization, very cool culture that they cultivated in Greece, so I'm excited to talk about him. And then mm-hmm. Evan specifically will get into the Battle of Thermopylae as we go along. But to start, we're kind of going to give you some background on how Sparta became Sparta and how they got to the Sparta that we know now. So mm-hmm. it's going to be cool. Yeah, very excited. So if you don't know anything about Sparta, ancient Sparta revered today as one of the military greats of history with their iconography carrying into the modern day military units and also claiming the stake in the media that we mentioned, like the movies 300, perpetuating the Spartans as brave and unyielding. They lived in a society built for war, an intense militaristic value. And so it's kind of easy to see where we get that fantastical picture from. But modern historians are beginning to push back on these mythological ideas of the Spartans a little bit, revealing like new insights into how we got to the storybook version of the Spartans mm-hmm. and how that might differ from the truth of what the culture in Sparta actually was. But regardless, there are various aspects of modern life that really do echo and harken back to Sparta in ways of different government ideology and military practices. So it's going to be a little bit of myth-busting, but not a lot. And Spartans are still pretty kick-ass, so... (laughs) Right, yeah. We'll still leave, like, some semblance of the Spartans that you know and you've come to love, because they were, in their own right, still very badass. they were cool, yeah. Very cool. It's just the way that they got to there is going to be a little different than you may expect. Mm -hmm. So, Sparta, its beginnings come from lore in Greek mythology, as a lot of these ancient cultures do. And it is said that the city was founded by... Uh, already a name that I'm going to butcher. Let's hear uh, it. Lacedaemon, I think is how you pronounce it. You betcha. Uh, he was one of the sons of Zeus, who was the mythical god, obviously, of lightning and storms. And he apparently named the region that he settled in after himself, and the city of Sparta specifically he named after his wife. The Spartans were said to have played a large part in the Greek forces of the Trojan War, led by King Agamemnon. And if you don't know anything about the Trojan War, just a basic summary, it was a war that started after a man named Paris, who was a Trojan prince, took the wife of the Spartan king Menelaus after being gifted the woman, whose name was Helen, by the goddess Aphrodite. Because uh, Paris, all he had to do was declare Aphrodite the most beautiful goddess, and she was like, here, have a woman. I mean, screw apps these days. Yeah, like dating right. Apps Who needs where, Tinder? <laughs> right, like Aphrodite, where, where are you at? <laughs> also, like, why is Aphrodite allowing this human man to be the judge of a beauty contest amongst goddesses? But Right, she's literally the goddess of beauty. And yeah. she's like, yeah, I need this this, this, this white man. To, <laughs> <laughs> I need Orlando Bloom yeah, to I tell need, me that I'm I need I'm this cute. olive-skinned, beautiful man to tell me right. that I'm hot. <laughs> she's just the goddess of, yeah. So Helen, the woman who was given away, was supposedly the most beautiful woman in Greece, and that reputation would carry over to other Spartan women, then, and that would kind of hold for a long time that Sparta had the most beautiful women. And the women in Sparta not only are just beautiful, but as we'll see in a little bit, they were 
given a lot of independence compared mm-hmm. to a lot of culture in Greece and the world at large, even today. <laughs> right. So it's, it's pretty cool to see how progressive Sparta was at the time. Right. Yeah. We're talking roughly, what, like 600 BC? Yeah. So like when Spartan was found from like 700 until like 350 BC is when Sparta's kind of like in their heyday. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the whole time, pretty much Spartan women just are allowed to participate in politics and stuff. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. Good for them. But uh, back to the Trojan War. Despite records of this war taking place, it's highly debated whether the conflict actually happened at all or at least to the scale that it's described by poets like Homer in his famous work, The Iliad. And that's where kind of where we get a lot of our information about the Trojan Wars from poems and stuff like The Iliad. So mm-hmm. who knows if it's a historical fiction that they just wrote about it as a basis for their culture, or if it's actually true, we don't really know. We do know that the city of Troy most likely existed, but whether it was a large mythical war over a woman who knows but right yeah i mean i'm sure the war in my opinion i think the war did happen but yeah again did like zeus actually bring wind to speed like spartan ships like that's yeah. part of the iliad and yeah, like the right. odyssey too is just full of uh just a lot of mythical mythical elements but uh yeah she must have been helen must have just been an absolute baddie to send See, honestly yeah. hundreds of thousands of men to their death But regardless, there is evidence that civilization was in this area quite a ways before the Spartans that we know came into that area. But around 1100 BC is kind of the general consensus on when Greece kind of went into a dark age. We don't really know why, what happened. There's a bunch of rumors of like natural disasters, foreign invaders, but we kind of just lose a lot of records on what was going on in this area at the time. There's about... 300 years i believe they said that we don't really know exactly what happened but the consensus on what happened during that time is that the modern sparta that we know was created shortly after 1100 around the 10th century uh where a group various groups of people combined into one village in the Eurotas valley in the southern peloponnese which is the peninsula off of southern greece and I believe it was four or so different villages combined created Sparta. Mm-hmm. And they chose this location because it's very well defended. There's a lot of mountainous ranges on the coastline. And this valley is very fertile, meaning that they can grow crops in a country that is mostly unfarmable. So it gave them an upper hand in lifestyle because they were able to sustain themselves instead of relying on other people to ship in grain and other things like that. Yeah, step one in building a civilization. Well, I guess step one is find a place where there's water, and step two is like find food. That's about that's about it. That's how you start a civilization. Yeah, have a couple people and just find a place to live. <laughs> right, and have like have some cows, raise some corn, etc. Yeah. So early Spartans took a lot of pride in their artistic skills and were said to have specialized in pottery and poetry. And you've probably seen examples of Spartan pottery. It's mostly the black and orange style pottery that Mm -hmm. you might have seen in a museum or in a picture on one of your history books or something. Or Hercules. Yeah. So that was the Spartan style was that black and black and orange. I don't know if that was just a common thing in Greece or if it was specific to Sparta, but that is a lot of the surviving artifacts we have, our pottery and things like that. They were also considered an ivory workshop, quote unquote, ivory workshop, 
where they would carve stories into ivory mm -hmm. and those survived and we were able to collect some of those as record on different stories that they would tell. And in terms of poetry, early Sparta was said to have been more active than any other Greek state in the early centuries in poetry. So they were more so an artistic society before they were a militaristic one. Just drawing parallels, that definitely reminds me of like, Japan and like samurai. Like they were very much badass warriors, but they could also write a mean haiku. Yeah, exactly. Out of nowhere, just very well, just beautiful. their swords craftsmanship is just insanely artistic. So right, everything yeah. they did was up to standard. It's definitely you see in those types of cultures, they have such a dedication to whatever profession they actually have. Yep. If you're a warrior, there's just a ton of dedication to the training and being the best possible that you can. If you're a crafter or a blacksmith, like you see that same thing. Even with like the Spartans and like their shields, like they actually personalized them, like yep. made them their own and very cool. So that's interesting. You know, it doesn't matter where the people are, they're just always similar. Right. And especially when you're first starting a civilization, I mean, you're not going to immediately start fighting, hopefully, because you still have to settle your settlement. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, artistic stuff is going to be what you're going to do when you're not farming and actually creating a home to live. So, mm hmm. The early city-states in this area were mostly governed by an agreed-upon set of code, and this is Sparta on the Peloponnese and surrounding areas where Athens would show up and stuff like that. All of those city-states decided on a set of code, mostly just to prevent lawlessness and chaos in the area. So everyone just kind of did the, uh, the head nod agreement and said, we'll just kind of keep it under control for, for now. Everyone chill out just for a couple hundred just years. for like... Yeah, 200 years or so, then we can, we can start fighting. <laughs> yeah, then we can start bashing our heads together. Around the 8th century BC, so around 200 years, the Spartans began their takeover of what is known as Messenia in the west and other surrounding areas. Sparta was kind of unique in the beginning in the fact that they had a dual kingship in government. So they had two kings instead of one, which is obviously more common is one king rules over everything but the reasoning for this is believed to be partially related to why they started these conquests because the story in greek mythology goes that heracles who is one of the strongest greek heroes and is known as hercules in roman lore uh, had two sons who wrested the power in greece from agamemnon the king that we mentioned in the trojan wars and the two brothers or the two sons who took over the power is the reasoning for why Sparta was said to have had two kings to mimic these brothers in taking over other people's lands. Oh, so look at that. They just read a book and read a story and were like, yeah, that sounds actually pretty solid. And it definitely follows the trope at the time of early civilizations as seeing their kings sort of as godlike mm -hmm. because it is said that they mimic these two sons of heroes. So, I mean, it's very easy to set up power in a way when you can just say yeah i'm p pretty much a god yeah my dad was actually like <laughs> zeus he was pretty cool <laughs> talk about the ultimate my dad can beat up your dad <laughs> yeah, he's right. just the god of thunder and lightning so it took two wars to do it but sparta eventually took over in the messenians area and once these areas were subjugated so were the people and instead of just subjugating them they actually took the people of Messenia into their culture and made them slaves. Yes, for all the credit that we definitely give the Spartans, 
They loved themselves some slaves. They thrived on the fact that they had so many slaves. That is the reason why they had such an expansive culture, honestly. Oh, yeah, they had a completely free workforce yep. for them. And it was definitely, definitely very, or excuse me, that definitely accredits them. What am I saying? That definitely helped them build their society, build yes. their cities. I got, I got there eventually. <laughs> and the slaves in Sparta were not called slaves. They had a name for them. They were called helots. And what a rebrand. Wow. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> so there's the helots, and there's another group known as the periokoi. And so the, as we mentioned, the helots were the enslaved servants for the Spartan leisure class which the leisure class is natural-born Spartan citizens who most of the time owned land, were kind of like the aristocratic society of Sparta, while the Periokoi were a free group of non-citizen inhabitants of Sparta. So they weren't slaves, but they really weren't seen as Spartans. That's mm. why they were given a separate class. But they were technically free citizens, so they didn't have to work in the fields and stuff. They could do what they wanted. But it was just very hard for them to set themselves apart in society and i believe there's only a couple instances of non-spartan natural born citizens becoming considered spartans oh yeah so it's it there's only two or three instances of it happening so spartans were very exclusive in who they considered actual spartans spartans loved being spartan yes they were very enthusiastic about the fact that they were who they were mm -hmm. so these periokoi would become craftsmen and as having a giant slave society will help with, the Spartans didn't farm, but they left it to the helots and focused more on various types of military training, politics, artistic endeavors, and other things that don't require you to work very hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the biggest things the helots provided Sparta with was the chance to organize a military force. As Nestorian Nigel Kennel wrote, Sparta had, quote, the means to maintain the nearest thing to a standing army in Greece by freeing, its, by freeing all its adult male citizens from the need for manual labor. So it's very easy to set up a group of people that can do strictly military or athletic training when you don't have to work. Right. And you kind of see it on the other city-states of Greece. They only went to war when i believe it was in the spring when like there's no harvest it was like after spring and summer's done you have to get back and like yep. harvest your food and so like you mentioned them being able to do this they just had like so much free time quote unquote right and we when we talked about the pyramids this is way back in the earlier episodes but we talked about how the people who built the pyramids had to segment their time because they had to use that fertile season when the Nile would flood to farm. And then once that mm -hmm. season was over, then they had time to work on the pyramids. So they had to pretty much balance half the year doing farming, half the year doing manual labor on the pyramids. So you're working all the time, <laughs> yeah. but it just depends where you're working. Yeah, not much of a work-life balance. <laughs> so there are various uprisings from these helots throughout the years, and that was a big fear from the Spartans throughout their history, was these helots somehow uprising and forming groups to revolt, because they did outnumber the Spartiates, which were the adult males that were in the army and would fight and things like that. They did outnumber those guys seven to one at certain points in their history, wow. so that just shows how many slaves there were in the society. But the Spartans did well to keep them down, 
and they kept the numbers of these slaves just small enough so that the people wouldn't have the ability to revolt. And they very much gave them the idea that any time they would try to revolt would be a terrible idea by just treating them very terribly. <laughs> yeah, they were they were treated like dirt. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get to it in a little bit, but there's a lot of rumors about what the Spartans did to these helots in broad daylight that was encouraged. Mm -hmm. That is not a good look for the Spartans. No. <laughs> think, think what we did to the Native Americans when we got here. It's similar to that, except they just use these people to work for us too yeah it's it it's not great yeah so with these helots doing the work and a new quote-unquote standing army established the shift to a martial society in sparta sparta started in earnest and this was not only for outside enemies but it was also to instill the sense of an unselfish and organized society within sparta itself to help prevent any idea of a civil war because in Greece and the ancient sectors of the Mediterranean in this time period, it was very much a infighting crowd. There are so many groups just neighboring to each other that would fight, and then other groups would fight with each other for mm -hmm. kingship. And I think that's why Sparta is unique, is that dual kingship, because they worked together so well. There was never any instances of those two fighting for power over one another. They always seemed to work together, from what I could tell. And it's interesting, too, because they would have one king that could go fight if, the, if one of the kings decided that he wanted to go lead the forces in battle, and the other king could stay back and rule from home. So they definitely had a balance where they could do both, but yeah. still have a very potent figurehead at all times, which is interesting. Yeah, very interesting setup. Yeah, it, you don't hear about it like any other place, really, that it works, yeah. at least. One king gets to go off and have adventures while the other one stays at home with the helots. <laughs> yeah, they, they rock, paper, scissors in like the halls of the, the uh, Agora. And they're just right. like, yeah, who's going to war? Who's staying back? Right, like, ah, oh, man, again. This I is hate like, going to war. Yeah, I have to stay and like, I guess manage they, the harvest. I guess they probably liked going to war, so maybe that was the good one to get. Right, yeah, I'm sure they would love to go and get some glory for themselves. Yeah. So this, but that unselfish and organized society that I mentioned was a huge, huge thing in Sparta. They wanted to make sure that everyone was respected, aside from the slaves. All of these quote-unquote natural Spartans would be respected. Everyone would share what they had. They didn't really hoard money, mm -hmm. even though there are instances of people doing that. But it was a very free market, almost proto-communist, a lot of people have called it society, where everything is shared. But mm -hmm. it worked really well for them, and they thrived on that because they had so much free time to do what they wanted. And again, like I said before, Spartans loved being Spartan. So if they were growing the community as a whole, it was growing Spartan or Sparta as a culture, as a city-state, and they just genuinely enjoyed doing it this way, yep. living this way. It also helps when you don't have to do any work. There's <laughs> 70,000 slaves. It's just nice doing when you can sleep stuff. in every day because you don't have to go to work and you can just do whatever you want that day. Right, yeah. But sometime near the 7th century, Sparta began to implement new training regiments for Spartan boys. And this is one of the most famous things that people probably know if they know anything about Sparta is these very rigorous set of training regiments that were implemented from like the age of seven. For boys, it's called the Agoge, I believe is how it's pronounced. As University of Virginia professor J.E. Lendon wrote, quote, 
At seven, a Spartan boy was taken from his mother and raised in barracks beneath the eyes of older boys. Boys were whipped to inculcate respect and obedience. They went ill-clad to make them tough, and they were starved to make them resistant to hunger. End quote. Jesus. Yeah. It seems very harsh, the but... S- the starving to make them resistant to hunger, it's kind of... That one's very interesting, especially for... You know, they're kids, so they need food. Right. So they're just making, like, malnourished mini people. Well, and this is where, like, you mentioning that there's maybe a couple fatties. It's like, I don't know if they were going to be. Probably not. Mi- they weren't going to be the military guys. Like, maybe no. one of the kings was fat, yeah, but, like, right. other than that, I doubt it. Yeah, maybe one of them that was, like, making the pottery. Maybe they were yeah, a little chunky. The, the but... craftsman class, maybe, those perikoi. Right. And this was, like, every single Spartan boy did have to go through this training, too. Yeah, pretty much. And, like, there are obvious cases where maybe they couldn't do it just because, like, some sort of physical aspect wasn't there that they couldn't. But pretty much everyone was sent to do it. And if you couldn't do it, you might have gotten ridiculed and looked down upon just Mm -hmm. because of how instilled in Spartan society it was for the men to be fit and athletic and just physical specimens, each and every one. So... Is it? I'm not sure if you're going to get to this, but is it also true that if a baby was born with some sort of defection, that they would just, like, huck the thing over a mountain? We will get to that we later on, that. yes. Okay. So in these cases of starving, boys were actually encouraged to steal to teach them stealth and survival techniques. And they weren't punished for stealing, but they were punished if they got caught for stealing, because that meant that you failed. That is so funny. Just... Just imagine being in school and you steal the teacher's, I don't know, his favorite pen. It's like, well, it got me good. Good on you guys. Yep. Which one of you rascals got me? (laughs) Not me. The system of training continued until the age of 20 when the boys, who are now young men, were allowed to join a communal mess uh, and become full citizens of the community, expected to provide a certain amount of food and to keep training until they're around 30. And the agoge is separated into different, uh, I don't know if you want to call them sections or periods or whatever you want to call them, but it was said that it was like 7 to 12 was a certain section of the training where you Mm -hmm. did certain things, and then from 12 to 20 was another, and then 20 to 30 was another. So it seems like 12 to, or 7 to 12 was the starving, stealing, like instilling that real sense of community and respect loyalty all of that into the boys and then 12 to 20 was more just vigorous training like athletic training wrestling stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then 20 to 30 was communal living with the other men and that's where a lot of the homosexuality stuff comes into it where they encouraged the younger younger boys quote-unquote younger boys to go with one of the older men who had already completed his training just to instill more of a bond between the two mm-hmm. so that they would really fight for each other if it were to come to war so it's an interesting style of living that the spartans enacted around this time very interesting yeah <laughs> it's like yeah just go pal up with one of the older dudes yeah 12 year old boy <laughs> right well i mean the women are still getting married at like 12 so i guess like right. by that point they're considered old men like at 18 yeah that's true the life expectancy was not long still at this point in in time especially when they were always warring yeah right 
However, while this sounds like great military training, it's never really stated outright that they train the boys in, say, military tactics or strategy, thus rendering the regiment of training mostly just athletic exercise, keeping the, me- the men in good physical condition t- mm-hmm. so they c- could fight if they needed to fight. But it never really outright states that there was like organized drill or something like that to get them ready for a battle, like no battle simulations or anything like that. That's not to say that it didn't happen. I'm sure there was a little bit, but a lot of scholars nowadays say that it was more so an elite group of people that would do stuff like that, that would Mm -hmm. have like an actual military, quote unquote, military training, whereas the the norm of the boys training was just to get them fit, to teach them to survive. Yeah, I'm sure it was like other cultures where the actual learning, learning just went to the nobility, probably like the kings and the king's families were all taught in like that strategy stuff. But yeah, for the most part, it's like be ripped and be ready to punch whoever we tell you to punch. Exactly. I even saw that it was said that Sparta actively banned kinds of combat sport, arguing that battle was more about group action and courage rather than individual strength or skill, Mm -hmm. which is very true and will become even more true later on in the Spartan history when they become the Sparta that we know. And as I mentioned, those homoerotic relationships created tighter bonds between the men. Unless your butts. Yeah. (laughs) Nuts to butts was like not just a saying for them. It was a very real way of life. (laughs) Oh, man. So one rite of passage that was for boys specifically is known as Cryptea. And this is kind of where that elite stuff comes into it. And this is another debated event in the training history. But it's kind of believed to be true, kind of not. It's... It's one of those things that they think is probably somewhat true. It's just been exaggerated, as with most of the Spartan history, just because Spartans got propagandized. I don't know if that's the right word throughout the years so much, but... I would say propagandized is good. (laughs) We'll we'll run with that. If not, we'll add it to the dictionary. (laughs) So this Cryptea involved grabbing the best and the brightest of the Spartan boys, giving them a dagger and a few essential supplies, And then they would tell them what the purpose of giving them that stuff was. And it was a very simple task. Go out and murder the helots. Yeah. (laughs) That is such a why. Like, here you go again, 12-year-old boy. Go stab the the poor people. It is. It very much is a reminiscent or proto version in my... If this is true... It is almost a proto version of the Einsatzgruppen of the Nazis, mm. which, if you don't know what that is, it was pretty much a roaming death squad, and they would go through towns and just annihilate everybody. It was gi- just like giant groups of serial killers, I've heard it described as. So it's, it's insane. But the boys, who the groups of boys and the activity both were referred to as Cryptea, would sneak along roads and into fields and jump the helots. And it didn't matter who the helot was. It could be a boy, it could be a girl, woman, man, weak, strong. Didn't matter. They were hunted and they were killed. And the additional purpose of the Cryptea was to toughen the boys, giving them little to nothing to wear and telling them to survive out in the countryside on their own for, I believe it was about a year that they had to do this for. So it's pretty much just living in the mountains doing this to toughen them up, make them a, a stronger civilian. 
And it was stuff like this is how the Spartans would keep the helots in line. Mm -hmm. This would not only call their numbers, but it would also just instill that fear into them and that sense that they're hopeless if they try to revolt because we can just come and sneak up and stab you at any time. I wonder, and this may be terrible on my part, I wonder what the highest number one of these boys actually got. Like, how many kills? I mean, if it is true that this happened yeah. to the extent that it's talked about, and I, I don't know if the year is accurate. I want to say it's a year, but I don't remember specifically. Mm -hmm. But if it is a year of you just roaming the countryside and murdering any hell that you see pretty much, yeah, you're going to be killing a lot of guys. Right? And, and, and not, only, not just guys, I should say people. Right, yeah, and it's literally just you just kill kids. Yeah, kids killing kids. That's very haunting. It's kill anyone you see that's below you. Right, because they didn't really see them as people. So, not that's, and that's an that is an essential thing in slavery, I guess, is not seeing them as people. So, right, just seeing them as lesser. Yep. In addition to this, the boys were taught skills such as compressing their speech to give maximum meaning with as few words as possible. Why say much word when few word do trick? Exactly. See, he was onto something uh -huh. there. One famous example of this was when Philip II of Macedonia, who was Alexander the Great's father, sent a threat to Sparta saying, quote, If I enter Laconia with my army successfully, I will raise Sparta to the ground. The Spartans sent back a cheeky reply saying one single word, if. That's pretty badass. The Spartans had, like, we'll get to in Thermopylae as well. They had some freaking great comebacks. They did. They were it, very witty. It is funny, too, because there is a, a historical story. I don't know how this is another thing. It's like, is this true or not? But mm -hmm. uh, because just on that point of stuff not being true or maybe not being true is just because the Spartans didn't really write anything themselves. They had poets and stuff, so we have some of their stuff that they wrote, but most of the histories that we have about the Spartans come from Herodotus, who was born late in the Spartan history comparatively to how long they were around, and then we get stuff from like Pericles and mm -hmm. Thucydides, who are way after the Spartans are at their peak. So a lot of the stuff is just hearsay. We don't know if they got it from another historian's writings mm -hmm. or if they got it from hearsay, if they just studied archives and found things that we just don't have anymore. We don't know. So a lot of this could just be exaggerated because of the mythos that builds up around Sparta in the later years. So that's why it's hard with Sparta specifically to create an accurate picture mm -hmm. we're still reevaluating pretty much all the evidence that we have now to create a clear picture so i don't know a lot of this <laughs> a lot of this is an i don't know kind of thing that really that's really what it comes down to it's like maybe they were like that maybe that's true but like a lot of the historical writing just not only in greece but across the world it's all very for lack of a better word exaggerated yeah, bit. like there's a lot of colorful language. There's always the involvement of gods or other mythical creatures. So you have to kind of, I don't know. It's a take it with a grain of salt kind of thing a lot right. of the time. Yeah. But as I was saying on this uh, example of them using as few words as possible, there's a story of later on in their history when they take over Athens, 
where Lysander, who becomes the naval commander, he sends back word to the kings in Sparta saying it has been taken or Athens has been taken, something along those lines. And he gets a reply sent back to him where the, uh, the council members of the, the elders send him a response saying, taken would have been good enough. Just the one word, taken. Taken. <laughs> that's all you needed to say. So it's, it was, a, and that's just, a, we don't know if that was just exaggerating the fact that they did have that practice of saying as few words as mm. possible. So it's just an example of this is how it was or if that actually did happen. But it's just Ooh. very funny. Spartans would have loved the iPhone now because you can just like messages. Yeah. But they would definitely be like, the council member, the council members liked your message. Or, or like probably disliked it because they yeah had to, right yeah. or like in Facebook messengers just sending a giant thumbs up like oh right <laughs> if they wanted to get your attention they would poke you on Facebook. However, from the eighth to sixth centuries, the Spartans were relatively quiet as far as their warring went. They didn't really participate in too many big battles or anything that we really know of. So it was kind of a, a quiet period, I guess you could call it, for Sparta. A, a chance for them to get their arts under control to really establish that political society of respect that they were trying to get enforced so they were just chilling killing slaves yeah i guess they were doing in their little <laughs> internal war games i guess right yeah one common idea about the spartans is that they practiced infanticide on babies who were born with some sort of disability and evan mentioned this earlier this is where we get the myth or perhaps i don't know there's just not a lot of evidence to support it mm -hmm. that the Babies, upon birth, would be taken to a council. They would be inspected for any sort of malformed limbs, any sort of disabilities that are obvious. And if they were weak and not seen to be the perfect human specimens, they would be taken to a mountain I cannot remember the name of, and pretty much just yeeted off a cliff. Yeet! <laughs> so... It was a way to ensure that Spartan society stayed as strong as it possibly could, creating as many strong soldiers as it could. And it's a, it was supposedly a common practice just in Greece and the world at large at the time. We can say that it maybe happened, maybe didn't, I don't know. There are references to it alongside discussions of weeding out the older members of society with disabilities, but it has come into question in recent years, as is a lot of Spartan knowledge that we have now. Evidence studies have found that there are multiple examples of infant skeletal remains that were deformed in some way, but were appraised to have lived for months, proving that they had some level of care before their deaths, so this kind of disproves the idea that they were thrown off a cliff. Also, there are reports that adults with maladies were still supported. Even one king who had impaired legs is talked about, who is said to have been a great leader. But others have argued that just because there's a lack of physical evidence to support the act of killing of children, societal evidence from other parts of the world at the same time show that it may have been somewhat practiced. But now it seems that the consensus is leaning more towards uh, instead of actively selecting and killing the weaker children... They were just left somewhere, like either in a public place or in the woods, by a family that was unable to support it in the hopes that another family might find them and take them in. And this just created more of a passive death instead of actively murdering the children. Right. Children, you have to keep in mind in 500 BC, like this time period, children were kind of considered investments, for lack of a better word, just because 
you still have to feed and nourish and take care of these children, but eventually they need to start actively producing their own things, like actually contributing to the family in some way. So, I mean, in the parents' minds and the community's minds, they saw these as investments, and if they're not going to turn out, quote-unquote, then they would most likely get get murdered. Yeah. So it's it may have been practiced in some form. I just don't think yeah. that they're actively tossing kids yeah, off I don't, of mountaintops. But yeah, I don't believe they're punting infants <laughs> off, off yeah. Mount uh, whatever it is. As I mentioned at the beginning, women in Sparta were afforded a surprising amount of independence, mostly due to the fact that the society focused the men less on a family and rather on strengthening their bond with their fellow male acquaintances. And that's a nice way of saying they like to have sex with each other. The women were just like, can we get like something over here? And when I say that they were given independence, they were also used very much as just breeding stock for more men. Yeah, it (laughs) was still a very male-dominated society. Yeah, but still, they were granted a lot of privileges that women at the time, it was rare to find in other Mm -hmm. societies. Starting at a young age, girls were also trained in physical fitness, similar to the boys, not as extreme, but similar. According to Sue Blundell, who wrote in her book, Women in Ancient Greece, quote, physical fitness was considered to be as important for females as it was for males, and girls took place in, girls took part in races and trials of strength. They also learned how to manage horses. They drove carriages and processions, and at Hyacinthia, a festival of Apollo and Hyacinthus. They raced in two horse chariots. So they were still allowed to do pretty much most of what the boys were doing. Also, props to you on pronouncing those names. I was was (laughs) like, Hyacinthia. Yeah, that would put me in a blender. But yeah, very, it is very cool, like that aspect of the society that it's literally, you know, all about community and whether you're a man or woman, you still have, you know those basic rights and you can also go play with the boys right except it, they won't they won't let you touch them <laughs> <laughs> it is it is very much uh more of a result of that helot structured society where right. they just have the free time so they are allowed to do pretty much everything that the boys could mm-hmm. just because what else are they gonna do right. besides chill at home and get pregnant again yeah In addition, they would also participate in wrestling, discus, and javelin throwing, and even competed in the Olympic Games for some of the events, which is pretty cool. And there was actually one woman who was pretty much known for her her very skilled performances in the Olympics. She trained her own horses and stuff to be very good at the chariot races and eventually won a name for herself, beating the boys. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Some sources claim that women, as well as men, would exercise and compete in the nude in Sparta as a way to encourage appreciation of the body, as well as to encourage simplicity and a care for good health. They just love being naked they just, <laughs> at yeah, all times. They just adored the physical form mm-hmm. is like the biggest thing about the Spartans is they just thought, man, we look good. <laughs> yeah, they, they were very conceited. Yeah, they would literally... There was, Someone that wrote, it might have been Plutarch or someone, but wrote that they would get nude for like their competitions, then afterwards they would rub themselves down with oil. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> how much more erotic can you make a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but Sparta is a very good case uh, example of putting modern values onto a ancient culture, whereas everything was so much different. Like we obviously have our own social norms now as a modern society, but back then it wasn't anything weird to look upon nudity as something that's not supposed to be in the public domain, mm-hmm. whereas now it is. Like they just thought of it as something normal and natural to be as simple as possible with that being naked. So they took hashtag free the nipple to heart yeah, for sure. The first first ones to practice it. Yes. One cool thing in Sparta that is very unique to Sparta is that in addition in addition to sporting, women could also inherit property, own land, make business transactions. And they were better educated than most of the women in Greece at the time. They would not be educated in school like the boys were, but they would get educated at home. And while the helots took care of all the menial labor around the house, the women focused mainly on motherhood and managing the finances. Which, women owning property is pretty insane for like any time before now. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah, I mean... Like in the United States, women couldn't have a line of credit till 1977. Yeah. So the fact that they're managing finances. A little progressive for that. (laughs) Yeah. Good for the Spartans. I mean, still not approving of the murdering of slaves at random. But all other aspects, kind of cool. I mean, the women kind of had to, though, because it's just like, all right, you guys go oil each other up over there. (laughs) And I guess I'll just do everything else around the house while you're gone. (laughs) It's like, huh, you're uh, coming home. uh, little late like yeah had some wine with the boys oh just wine hmm. mm, weird <laughs> i see how you're looking at vesuvius <laughs> looking at that mountain over there Evan. Mount vesuvius. <laughs> Mount vesuvius. that's the only greek like relative name i could think of <laughs> i've been home all day with the helots and her finances <laughs> you're out there getting oh that was about to be very out of pocket you're out there having Man time, <laughs> boy time. Oh, oh, god, yeah. In some cases, it I was. was exploring my buddy's man cave, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'm your wife. Why are you telling me? This? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Women were allowed to take male lovers in the cases of infertility of their husbands or if their husband was just old, like couldn't produce children anymore. Uh, because as is common around this time period, the men married much younger women a lot of the time. So your husband could be 60 and you could be sitting around like 30 and you still are expected to produce as many offspring as possible. Mm -hmm. So it was very much encouraged for other men to come in and take the spot of the husband to produce more strong offspring. And it was said that the husband was never really like off put by something like this. A lot of times they had to almost pick the guy for their wife because they would want someone that represented that sense of physical superiority and so they would pick someone that's like an adonis for lack of a better term good for them i would definitely pick the ugliest dude (laughs) (laughs) if this is if i'm teleported i'm picking the one that looks like the hunchback from notre dame (laughs) so you don't want strong offspring evan (laughs) i didn't know Mine can be the pottery makers. So Spartans <laughs> were very much cucks. Is, yeah, is the sense the set consensus here? <laughs> yeah, they, they did not mind watching their wives just get banged out by another guy. Consensual cucking. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's essentially what it is. 
Men and women were both also said to engage in same-sex relationships for pleasure and personal fulfillment, as long as both parties consented and were of a certain age. Very forward-thinking at the time, women were also allowed to freely participate in almost every aspect of the political life in Sparta as well. So they had a lot of very progressive attitudes towards everywhere from sex to politics to women participating in every aspect of social life mm-hmm. from politics to ma- like money matters everything like they were not conceited about letting the women do their thing i think also like a huge part of that is just because again they were just so focused on the community and community well-being so that led to a lot of like sexual like sex forward thinking yep. if you will which we kind of won't see in uh like cults yeah if that kind of like that's what kind of popped in my head. Charles like Manson would fit in well here. Oh, he would have a field taking spark. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and then like he could just, you know, murder people and people would be like, Are they a helot? Yep. Okay, we're good. He would also just destroy Sparta by bringing in a ton of like acid. <laughs> yeah. Sparta would not have gotten anywhere if he was around. Right. He'd just be like just chilling with the Oracle of Delphi the entire time. Oh man. Speaking of political life, that dual kingship that I mentioned earlier was supplemented by an elected board of what were known as E4s, a group that only allowed people to serve for a single one-year term. There was also a council of elders, with each member being over the age of 60 and allowed to serve for life. And of course, general assembly, which included each citizen. And when I say citizen, remember, I'm just talking about natural-born Spartan citizens not the helots or the uh, craftsman class. And each citizen had a chance to vote, and most of the time it was just a large assembly. People would vote by shouting. So it was just a a room full of people yelling. (laughs) A room full of jack dudes screaming, or excuse me, jack dudes and dudettes screaming at each other. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful women, ripped men, just screaming in a room. Screaming. And like, and then and that, some, now that's just porn. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of the dudes like locked eyes while they were screaming. We're like, whoa, why are we both at half mass? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> this is such a weird. This is a weird episode, man. I love like this society is so. It has to be one of the most interesting ones we've covered because there's so much progressive, good things in here. Like women are 100 percent considered equal for the most part. I mean, there's some education things but they can participate in everything the society but then, but then they just slaughter all of their workers yeah literally yeah and one of the other ways that they would call the the helot population is sometimes they would just take large groups of them and they would just send them to war on the front lines and be like you guys go first just to let them all die they have no training whatsoever. Yeah, no, they literally would just send them like lambs to slaughter just to get rid of the population of right. helots so that they were easier to manage. Well, they and the helots use... knew that. Yeah, well, they also use castration. I, I do not doubt that they would. I Ooh, mean... Yeah, I'm sure. But then also, if you do that, then you're not getting new ones. So, I mean, you have to balance <laughs> getting new helots and also killing the ones that you don't want to keep around. Right. So Bit of a catch-22. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's like a almost like a New World Order kind of thing for now where they're like, we got to keep the population at 500,000 people or whatever that the crazy conspiracy is. But just do that with your slave population so they can't revolt. <laughs> right. How many... I wonder how, like, how big was the Spartan population? Are we talking... So I believe... 
hundred thousand. Well, that, no, that's the thing is like the populations at this time were still very small. Like right. uh, Athens had a huge population that was in the hundreds of thousands, I believe. But Sparta, uh, at the beginning when they took over uh, Messenia, it was said that they just had more people than most of the cultures at the time. Because as I mentioned, it was like a group of four cultures that came together. So it was said that around that time, they just had, they had maybe like 8,000 official Spartans. Mm-hmm. But they just had superior numbers to everyone. And that's how they were so good at fighting. It wasn't necessarily that they were good fighters. It was just that they had numbers and could subjugate people. Right. So I just did a quick Google search and what, well, take it for what it is. It's from Wikipedia, but at its peak, like 500 BC, we're looking at Spartan, Sparta had between 20,000 and 35,000 citizens. Yeah, that is the common number. And I did read some stuff. I got a lot of cool information from Ask Historians on on Reddit. Because there's one guy in that sub who answers to pretty much all of the Spartan posts. And it seems like he's a very prominent researcher. I don't know what his actual name is because it's all screen names. But he made a very good point about population numbers around this time a Mm -hmm. lot of it was based on the numbers that are given for battles for armies oh so they pretty much reverse did the math in reverse for like what the population was from the base number of the military Mm -hmm. and for spartans that's kind of hard because they had like a certain number of people fighting but that also included some mercenaries it also included the subjugated people that they had so it's difficult to kind of get a real good number Right, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the typical historical number for like the percentage of fighting men, that age range isn't like 25% of a population. Yeah, it might even be a little more than that, like more. closer to 35. Sure. But yeah, it's in, in Sparta, it might even be higher than that just because they right. focus so much on having strong men. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, they, the numbers are smaller than like we would normally think of just because it is still BC times. Right. So. Yeah, that definitely definitely makes sense. One of the interesting things about Sparta is that the citizens didn't flaunt their wealth, but instead encouraged people to dress in a more basic clothing to relate more to the common man. And society also formed social contracts where certain duties were balanced by certain privileges and rights. So if you did a certain thing, you would get rewarded by having a different privilege above other people, or mm-hmm. you, you would get, be given more rights in a certain aspect of life. So there were still encouragements for doing good. There, there were very much encouragements for doing good things in society and helping out the society as a whole. And this is where we get a lot of that very mutually beneficial thinking to help the Spartan society and you're helping yourself. Mm-hmm. Once the 6th century rolled around, Greek infighting had brought about some new conflicts locally. However, there was a lot of reform sweeping through the area at, at large as unrest within cities began to, began to grow. Huge estates began to be replaced with smaller farms, allowing free citizens to feed their families and sell the surplus, increasing the trade and helping cities grow. So this is where that craftsman class is now having their own land to farm. They can thus help the economy and also feed their families so that everyone is benefiting once again. Mm-hmm. So this helped the leisure class, who are the main fighting prominent force in Greece that also helped them grow because it allowed for a change in military structure from small elite infantries to the large hoplite armies, which is what we'll 
the what pretty much everyone uses going forward. More citizens could afford to buy the equipment necessary to fight as well, meaning that the leisure class was now being complemented more by citizens. And these armies consisted of heavily armed and armored men with large round shields who would form into groups known as phalanxes. Yes, love the phalanx. So cool. This is where a lot of the military pictures that you'll get the artist representations of online or in history books this is probably what you know about greek or roman forces around this time is the phalanx as well as alexander the great he used these tactics as well yep basically what the phalanx was is the men would form ranks eight or more men deep with each man standing close enough to their neighbor that their shield would help to cover the man to their left which made one large cohesive unit for fighting. It's just giant blocks of men, pretty much, with, yeah. with giant spears and shields. Mm-hmm. Sparta had overthrown the tyrants in Athens, but eventually everyone was going to need to band together as a Greek fighting force because there was a new enemy approaching from the east. And after the reforms to these systems of government, every free man was now able and willing to fight for the sake of these new institutions. This is where the Persians come into the picture, and this is also where we are going to cut this episode, and we will have a part two where we talk about those Persians. Two-parter, baby! (laughs) So we're not getting to the Battle of Thermopylae yet, but we will in the next episode, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk all about Leonidas and the 300, and we'll also discuss some various points about them that Maybe is just blown out of proportion almost immediately after the battle. Yeah, like how it was 300 and actual some change. Yeah, <laughs> it was like 301. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them didn't die. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be getting to all of that in part two on the Spartans. And this was just pretty much talking about the society and how we get to them becoming militaristic, which is very interesting. I, I think this mm. stuff is almost as interesting as the fighting. I mean, it gives the back, like, sure, battles are awesome, battles are super cool, but you also have to understand why, like, A, why they're fighting, like, to uphold all these institutions, and also, like, how they got there. Yeah. Like, why they actually had such a good chance against a much larger number. So, definitely, definitely love learning a lot doing the research. And we just get to talk about guys cornholing each other all the time. (laughs) So, it's just like, I mean, how much more fun can you have on a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> corn, corn. I, I heard someone else call it that now i can't stop thinking about that that's the terminology for it so but yeah that's all There's, we got for part one what was it called like buggery they buggery just, there is so much buggery going on around this time period man but that's all we got for part one we will be back next week with part two on the spartans and all of the fun fighting and stuff like that. And Evan's going to get into some of the Persian kings and mm-hmm. all, ooh, all that fun stuff. So much fun. And if you want to continue the conversation with us in the meantime, you can follow us on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. You can find Jacob on Twitter at Jacob from Wisco. <laughs> And then myself at whatevskis. I actually forgot my own handle there for a second. I, I was going to help you out. but <laughs> Yeah. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, which we should at least have some clips uh, of today's episode up on YouTube, uh, as well as TikTok at Gems of History Pod. And on YouTube, I'm 
assuming that we'll be able to get gems of history. I hope so. <laughs> be very odd if there was another one. Yeah. But... And the Facebook group. <clears throat> I always forget the Facebook, Facebook group. Facebook group, the Agora. Mm-hmm. So go search that on Facebook. Just look up the Agora Gems of History discussion. It should come up. Uh, join in there. We get some cool posts in there. You guys can talk to us. Talk to the other people that listen to the show. Get some more discussions going. Everyone just be nice to each other. <laughs> Don't attack each other on some certain posts like it's not fun if you guys are just yelling so oh man does that happen i don't know okay (laughs) but i just don't want it to happen so i'm cutting it off at the beginning we'll we'll bring some soup like we talked last episode we'll inject soup we'll bring the hammer down yeah oh or the ladle (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry soup on the mind but until next week you guys you know go out have fun times with the boys if that's what you're into Go live your lives. Hey, Be just, free. Yeah, just live like the Spartans. <laughs> live like the Spartans. Just don't just... go to don't go to a soccer field and start playing naked. You will get arrested. Right. Yeah. We can't condone any naked public behavior, but do you? What? What do you want do, to do? I everything guess? else. Yeah, and don't own slaves either. Also, yes. <laughs> yes. So there are a couple caveats, but live like yeah, the Spartans. But, <laughs> <laughs> but live like. And the on Spartans. that note, we'll talk to you later.